This morning I'd like to um, give uh, an overview in broad strokes uh, of the, the range of practice in this tradition, in the insight meditation tradition, um, from uh, samatha, which means calm or tranquility. Um, by the way, if, if my voice goes down and you have trouble hearing me, please just, you know, make a little gesture to, uh, to prompt me to speak louder because I know my voice does sometimes fall and we have some white noise with the air conditioner here, so, so please uh, remind me of, of that if, um, if you have trouble hearing. <clears throat> you can also, uh, if you're fine, you're, if you have a hearing loss and, and you're having trouble hearing, you can move also closer. So uh, feel free to do that, to change your position. <clears throat> so, uh, so this uh, range or uh, spectrum of, of practices uh, from samatha, meaning calmness, tranquility, uh, to vipassana, uh, meaning insight or seeing deeply the insight. Of course, when we translate Pali words, uh, the translator or um, interpreter finds an English word or a French word or whatever language that that works kind of but these these translations are never exact so so um, so I you know I I've heard that a more precise translation of vipassana is is, is seeing deeply and so we're seeing deeply into the nature of our experience, so so calmness, tranquility, and then choiceless awareness, uh, which is a um, uh, when mindfulness is, is is well established and and we're um, we're just uh, kind of there's a, there's a, a steadiness of attention. So um, so these this this spectrum or range of practices. Uh, it's not like um, you know you go to first grade and then you go to second grade and then you go to third grade. Uh, it's not that kind of of training where uh, it's it's accumulating knowledge and um, and we are uh, kind of building on knowledge and building a framework of knowledge. It's not it's not that. Um, it these are uh, trainings of the mind, developments of the mind. And so we find ourselves in a very natural way, uh, and this is part of what we develop as we become skilled adepts. Uh, that's a word that's sometimes used in adept in meditation, somebody who, who really uh, knows the practice, is familiar with the practice, familiar with their own practice. So each one of us will have a unique practice. And... Um, uh, within the you know the range of practices, and so so sometimes you know we'll um, after practicing many years we might be we might find ourselves just wanting to calm the mind, to settle the mind, and and come back collect the mind. Um, but but as as uh, you know as as time goes on, and I'm talking about years of practice, we we find ourselves. Um, uh, you know, perhaps living uh, more and more uh, on the end of the spectrum of uh, 
of of Vipassana, joyous awareness. No, no, is Peter here? Is Peter here? Uh, just, um, where are you? Peter, is Peter Peter. Noticing that he's missing. Oh, there you are. <laughs> okay. No, I was looking for you. I didn't see you. Uh, so, um, yeah. So, so it's a it's a development of the mind and um, a development of practice. So, uh, so samatha is is a practice in which we. Um, we we choose an object, uh, and and when I say object, I'm not talking about a thing. I, it's a meditation object. So we we choose a particular object that we're going to bring our attention to, and so um, usually it's the breath, just feeling the breath, and um, and and the breath is uh, a really wonderful object of for this this um, tradition of meditation, this, this type of meditation, because it is in the present moment. And, and this practice is to bring our attention to our present moment awareness. So, um, so it's, it's something that is always there if when the mind drifts away, we're, um, uh, we can always find it because there it is. Uh, it's um, it's not something that we have to keep creating with the mind, you know, like um, you know a, a mantra. Um, you know, mantras are are also can also be uh, good um, meditation objects, but um, but for the most part, we use the breath. Uh, we can also use body sensation. I like to uh, encourage people to use the breath because we can kind of localize it in a, a particular place in the body. Um, sound is another meditation object. That comes and goes as well, so um, it's, it, it's not necessarily as, as, as ready, you know, in the moment when the mind comes back after having drifted away. So... So feeling the breath, coming back to the breath, and um, and what we're doing in um, in coming back to the breath is we are we're learning uh, a, a very very important skill, and that uh, and that skill is um, let it go, or another word for saying that is renunciation. So when I get caught up in a story in the mind, you know, something that happened in the past, you know, something I'm remembering, something that I'm, you know, uh, feeling perhaps resentment about or, um, or, or, or hurt or guilt, you know, and I'm all caught up in this story. Then, uh, and then I remember, oh, yeah, the breath, <laughs> come back to the breath, and and I I realize I can let that go. That's 
that's actually a thought. That's what it is. It's a thought. It's not, it's not what happened. Or worrying about the future, anxiety, planning, you know. That it's not the future, it's my thoughts about the future. It's my hopes and fears about the future. It's not, uh, it's not what's really happening now. And, and, and collecting the mind and coming home to the breath uh, trains the mind in renunciation, in letting go. And this is the real renunciation. You know, sometimes we hear the word renunciate uh, or renunciation and we think of a whole lifestyle of renunciation. You know, that's for monks and nuns. And, but that's really um, the practice for all of us. And even for monks and nuns, their real renunciation is in the moment, uh, in not clinging to the past or the future. But coming home, coming home is really a good way of thinking of it. Coming home to the breath, coming home to the body, coming home to rest in present moment awareness. And as we do this, as we practice this, and you know, many, many times, collecting the mind, coming to rest, coming home, the mind over time begins to become more calm. And, um, and that's, that's actually a very beautiful experience. It's, a, um, it's, uh, it's what the Buddha called um, spiritually, uh, a spiritually pleasant experience. And it nourishes us to, uh, to, to begin to find that sense of, of coming home and being present in ourselves. Um, and that we can uh, find a sense of, of peace and contentment. You know, not through uh, getting stuff, getting more stuff, or, or uh, accomplishing some goal we set, uh, for ourselves, not to say that goals are bad, um, but um, but we don't always accomplish them, or in in the way that we want to. So, so can we find that sense of contentment and presence within ourselves, uh, a sense of home, being at home within ourselves? And so, uh, samatha practice teaches us, and and um, and so. In the beginning, it can feel like the mind, you know, is just really um, uh, kind of touching the breath and that there's a lot of noise in the background. You know, it feels like we keep aiming our attention at the breath, but it almost feels like in the background all our thoughts are still chattering away, you know, yakking away, and, uh, and our, the mind doesn't really feel collected. But uh, over time, as we keep coming back to the breath, coming home, resting in the breath, then the mind becomes more collected and, um, and, and absorbed in the breath. And there's a whole uh, development of meditation which goes into uh, developing that concentration, collectedness and concentration of the mind. And... Um, and so, you know, that's, that's called jhanic practice or uh, meditative absorption. And, uh, and so, 
you know, some of you have done some of that. Um, in the practice of insight or vipassana, we develop our our attention, our collectiveness of mind enough so that we're present in our moment-to-moment experience. So we're not going kind of deep into a kind of a, an absor- absorption state. Uh, uh, we're, we're simply present with our moment-by-moment experience. And, um, and as we develop this calmness and this quietness of mind, what's actually happening is that, you know, we have, we all, all of us, have many, many habits of mind, conditionings of mind. Um, and, and some of our conditionings of mind are, are skillful, you know, like generosity and compassion and, um, and, and, and empathy. So, uh, so it's, it's wonderful to be mindful of those and we can, um, we can, you know, appreciate those as they come up. We also have uh, unskillful, uh, afflictive habits of mind. And, and those are, um, are what create suffering in our lives, create suffering for ourselves and create suffering for others. And so we're mindful of those in, in, an, in another way when we do our practice. And as, and as the mind becomes more quiet, and we're not continually going into the story and kind of, you know, um, he did this to me, I should have done that, this was wrong, um, I'm going to do this to, you know, to show him or show her, um, you know, what's right, or I can't, I can't possibly manage this, this is too overwhelming, and all of these ways that we talk to ourselves that, um, <coughs> that create suffering, um, we begin to become aware, more present with those. Um, we're not lost in them, we're not caught in them, they're not hooking us and bringing us into that whole state of, you know, getting lost, carried away on that train of thought, or or lost in that uh, that dream, or that fantasy, uh, whether it's a pleasant or an unpleasant fantasy. And so, in as we begin to practice insight practice, when as the mind becomes more more calm and stable and attentive, we're seeing these um, these thoughts and emotions arising, and um, and so this can be um, this can be difficult. It's uh, it, it's difficult to see these things. It's painful to see these things. I. Um, uh, you know, when I, I a long time ago, when I did, you know, one of my first longer retreats, I um, I remember just seeing how the mind was always judging. My mind, you know, this mind was always judging, judging, judging. You know, 
judging judging how people were doing walking meditation, judging what clothes they wore, judging how they took their meals, uh, uh, and judging myself. You know, that I discovered a little bit later. You know, oh, the mind is so harsh on <coughs> myself. And, and this was very painful <coughs> for me to see. And I, you know, I spent a good part of one afternoon, you know, sitting by a pond and just, you know, crying because it was so painful to see what a judging mind um, I had or was, you know, this conditioned mind was, to, was so conditioned to be so judging because it went so much against my self-image. You know, here I, here I was... You know, working as a chaplain, and I, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a kind person. I <laughs> think to myself, I care about people, and the mind uh, said, "Well, yes and no." <laughs> uh, and so, it, so it's, um, so when we when we begin to encounter these habits of mind, it's. Um, our task in, in in vipassana meditation is to not turn away from it, but to actually uh, turn toward it and, and bring our mindful awareness to it, um, mindful investigation, um, to recognize that um, that first of all. Um, it's arising. I didn't. I didn't choose for that judging thought to arise. It's arising selflessly. It's arising on its own from causes and conditions, causes and conditions of my life. Um, and um, I remember asking a teacher, well, "Why does the mind do that? You know what? You know I don't want to think those judging thoughts. Why does the mind keep coming up with those?" And he said, "Well." the best you could do with what you had at the time. And I, that made sense to me as I thought about my life. Yeah. It was the best I could do to make sense of, of my life at the time with what I had. And, and now, or at that time, I was learning more skills so I, I could, um, I could <coughs> do something more skillful, um, something that caused less suffering. So, um, so they, so these thoughts, these emotions, arise selflessly. Um, in a very immediate way, um, in mindfulness of the body, we're seeing sensations arising, moment by moment by moment, and we're going to be focusing this morning uh, in a few minutes on on mindfulness of the body. <coughs> And, um, and so we'll see that these are also arising selflessly, uh, sensations, breath, sensations, rising and falling. We also see that they're impermanent. They're coming and going. So when I, when I turn toward the thoughts, the emotions, the body sensations, uh, you know, I, I recognize that they are, that they are um, arising and passing away continuously and 
and uh, and also with uh, enormous rapidity. They're just it's just a flow. In fact, there's nothing but flow. It's just you know, sensations arising, passing, arising, passing, thoughts coming and going, emotions. You know, when we're when we don't cling to them and make stories about them and act on, on them, we we actually recognize that they they arise and pass away, and uh, and that's that's very powerful. So what I'm describing, the insight into into the selfless nature, the insight into the impermanent nature, these are. Um, these are non-cognitive insights, uh, so they're not ideas. There are some things. If they're 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 recognitions, realizations that we um, that are deeper than just an idea, or they're not something to hear and believe. The third insight that the Buddha asks us to uh, to discover. In our experience, is um, is that is that of uh, the unsatisfying or unfulfilling or or unreliable or suffering nature? So there's a whole spectrum, you know, uh, that that's there in our experience. Any experience, if it's a pleasant experience, it may be pleasant for a moment or a few moments or a little while, and then it's going to change, and it's become going to become, you know, something else, so neutral or perhaps, perhaps painful or difficult. So, or if it's an unpleasant experience, it's inherently unpleasant. So, so, so the the Buddha says, don't try to find happiness or fulfillment or or peace or contentment in in the conditions of your life, you know, and uh, because you're just going to be frustrated. It's it's, going to, it's a losing game. Um, so how how many times have we done that? You know, how many times have we thought, you know, well, this relationship or this or this job or this home or this you know this experience is going to uh, you know really bring me happiness? And it's not to say that there's no happiness or or pleasantness to be found in experiences, but but when we cling to them and we try to make them more than what they can be, then uh, then we experience uh, disappointment, and we're just on that treadmill of looking for the next pleasant experience or trying to escape whatever grief or loss or hurt or guilt we may feel uh, in the moment from from something difficult that we're facing in our lives. So, um, so, so this these three qualities or characteristics um, of of uh, impermanence of. Um, unsatisfactoriness or unreliability or suffering and selflessness you know the Buddha says look look and see 
look at your experience and see if you don't find, you know, you know, I, he says, I, I, I invite you to examine your experience and, and, and notice that, that there's nothing that you can take in that's not characterized by these things. Nothing that you can take in through the senses, through the, through the, uh, the cognitive, the conceptual mind, that's not characterized by these things. And so what happens is as we, as we bring our mindful attention that's been developed through the Samatha practice, and we explore each moment of our experience, the breath, body sensation, emotions, thoughts, especially beginning with body sensation, you know, we we discover the impermanent nature that everything is arising and passing away. That we can't we can't hold on to we can't hold on to a particular moment of uh, of pleasant experience or or even avoid or push away what we don't want uh, to experience what's unpleasant. So, um, so what happens over time as we uh, as we practice insight meditation, vipassana, we develop a wisdom. We develop uh, a sense of of wisdom uh, in which we deeply realize these truths of impermanence. The Pali word is anicca. Dukkha, dukkha holds within it that whole range that I talked about. So, so it's a good word because I don't have to say the whole range. Dukkha, anicca, dukkha, anatta. Anatta is that non-self. Uh, so, um, so we we're seeing these three characteristics, and it it shifts our relationship with um, with what we're experiencing in life. So that, you know, the clinging, the resisting, the being lost in past and future um, begins to uh, dissipate. We're living more and more uh, in, our, in the present. And, and that's wonderful because it's in the present moment that we can actually respond, that we can express our love, that we can make a choice that we can um, feel joy, um, that we can play. Um, so when we're living in the present, we're actually uh, living um, in a way that's more alive, more connected. Uh, and, and as this mindfulness becomes well-established in our lives, then a kind of practice which is called choiceless awareness. I don't think there's a Pali word. I'm not familiar with a Pali word. It's actually uh, that, that expression comes from uh, Krishnamurti, um, who, who was talking about 
a kind of meditation. Krishnamurti was a, a, a non-denominational teacher in the 20th century, um, India, Indian um, uh, teacher who um, uh, very deeply realized person. And he, uh, he said, the mind is just present, open, aware, and seeing. So when, when, when we're practicing choiceless awareness meditation, we're just simply seeing the arising and passing away all the time. And there's a, there's a stability of awareness. So it's not like we're kind of in the river you know, if we're in the river, uh, uh, like on a boat, we might think that that um, you know our that the shore is moving. But when we're actually a- attentive to the fact that we're on a boat, and and there's that stillness, we realize that the mind, the mind is moving, and yet within that. Um, that movement of the mind of seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, thinking, there is a, there is this stability of presence. And so um, so when we're living out of that uh, that presence within ourselves, um, that's a uh, that's a place of of, um, of peace, of equanimity. Uh, of balance, of compassion. It's a place of connectedness. It's not a place of indifference, of isolation or separateness. It's a place of deep connectedness, and yet there's uh, an awareness that everything, that life is, is flow. Life is, is arising and passing away. There's a, there's a shift that happens in our relationship with our thoughts, our emotions, that we're not trying to change them, but we're we're at peace with whatever is arising, um, and we can be with it. We can be present with it. Um, so there's a beautiful poem by Rumi that I'd like to uh, to read to you, which I think um, kind of I- expresses this. Uh, this practice and um, and 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 differentiates between kind of the learning through the mind, the learning the learning of ideas and concepts, you know, which we're so um, kind of uh, attuned to and addicted to in our in our culture, especially and especially I think with with all our you know computers and little devices, more and more. We are uh, really um, connected to the, the the thinking, 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 left brain kind of of uh, of knowing, and and um, and Rumi talks about two kinds of intelligence, and really what I've described is the development of another kind of intelligence. There are two kinds of intelligence: one acquired. As a child in school memorizes facts and concepts from books and from what the teacher says, collecting information from the traditional sciences as well as from the new sciences, 
With such intelligence, you rise in the world. You get ranked ahead or behind others in regard to your competence in retaining information. You stroll with this intelligence in and out of fields of knowledge, getting always more marks on your preserving tablets. There's another kind of tablet, one already completed and preserved inside you, a spring overflowing its spring box, a freshness in the center of the chest. This other intelligence does not turn yellow or stagnate. It's fluid, and it doesn't move from outside to inside through the conduits of plumbing learning. This second knowledge, this second knowing, is a fountainhead from within you moving out. This second knowing is a fountainhead from within you moving out. And so this expresses that the, the wisdom that we're connecting with is really already there. That, uh, that, it, that there is an innate quality of, of wisdom that we need to, in a way, reconnect with. That somehow, and, and so, many, so many stories in different cultures describe how uh, we've lost our way, we need to find our way home. Um, and so this is, uh, in a way, this, this journey that, you know, that I'm talking about is a finding our way home to that um, wisdom, that knowing which is already within us. Does anybody have any any question? Anything that was unclear or any questions coming out of what is meant by choiceless awareness? So choiceless awareness is um, in, in that we're not directing the mind. Um, there's a um, uh, so so in um, in the samatha meditation, we have a meditation object, and and we're we keep turning the mind to it. We're letting go, and and turning the mind to it. So in a way, we're we're choosing, we're continually choosing to be attentive to a particular object, in order for the purpose of calming the mind. And it's you know it's a neutral object. So we're not turning, you know, the, and that's that's one of the benefits or the the pluses of of, of choosing the breath. It's, it's it's just a neutral object. We're not going to get all excited about you know this in breath or that out breath. Uh, and and so and it's a kind of a it's a kind of a holding. You know, it's a kind of a a grasping, but it's a skillful use of the mind's capacity to hold. You know that we keep turning the mind back to the breath and holding to it. And then uh, in Vipassana, you know, as, as, the, as we're, we've developed that capacity 
to be present, to be attentive, that the mind is not always scattered, monkey mind, going from one thing to another, restless, grasping, resisting all the time. But the mind has actually become developed more stability and steadiness in present moment awareness. Then we're, we're present with the breath, but as something arises in, uh, in awareness, um, an emotion, a, a sensation, we, we turn our attention to that and, and we're noticing the arising and passing away of it. We're noticing its selfless nature. We're noticing its dukkha nature. So, so, so there's, um, so the mind is, is, is moving. There's a, there's a, a, a kind of a stability but we're moving from object to object. Um, so there's still some choosing and returning. Um, uh, and there's an openness, kind of an allowing uh, the nature of our experience to unfold and to reveal itself. So, um, and where there's a, there's a non-cognitive, non-conceptual knowing of the the impermanent dukkha and and selfless nature of these of these experiences in choiceless awareness we're simply resting in awareness the mind might uh, connect to a, a, a sensory object um, see it arise and pass away uh, come back to you know presence so there's um uh, yeah, so that's that's what's meant by choiceless. We're not we're not um, we're not trying to concentrate the mind. The mind has some stability of awareness and, and presence. So in the beginning uh, of practice, if somebody were to sit down and say, "Well, I'm going to practice choiceless awareness," it would probably be actually the mind um, just going, getting lost, you know, in in sensations and thinking and daydreams and fantasy that and that's that's not choiceless awareness the mind I mean the mind might get lost you know it's not it, we're not talking about perfection or you know and and so you know in choiceless awareness if if the mind does get lost um, you just come back to the breath it's it's a very kind of natural way of um, moving um, through these, and they're they're not, you know, as distinct. Of course, any any conceptual framework. So, you know, going back to this poem that I just read, you know, I've just said a whole lot of words about, um, you know, about practice. So, you know, we're taking in conceptually. We're taking in through the mind. You know, we're hearing teaching, and and so. But the point is not to just learn the teaching conceptually. The point is to really apply it. And so that's, you know, sort of part one is, is hearing it. Part two is applying it and realizing it within ourselves. And, and part three is living out of that realization. So I'd like to um, uh, 
I'd like to um, offer now uh, a guided meditation. So uh, if you want to take a moment to just uh, stand up, release your posture, you can do that. Um, Thank mm-hmm. you. 